Hey, let's do it. Three, two, one. Oh, my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Wednesday, December 11th. Uh, my hair is down. Look, you know, if, you watch, if you're listening to on iTunes, you're missing out on a glorious curly hair day for me. I'm, I'm, uh, I've released my inner Jesse Eisenberg, I guess is what I, uh, I'm going to go with. Um, man, we're back. I, uh, look, if you listen to, I'm not going to explain it again, but if you go back and listen to the beginning of Ask Zach, episode two. I've been really struggling. Um, I'm still, I'm still having a hard time. Uh, but today's a huge victory. I'm really excited. This is the first episode I have created uh, and, you know, since I had a whatever. And yeah, I'm doing the best I can. I hope you're doing well out there. I'm doing the best I can. And uh, I just uh, am really happy to be doing the show again today. I want to start today with this. I made a list yesterday. My dad and I were sitting at dinner. We went into, we went to IHOP and we, we thought about going to IHOP and getting burgers, but we're like, guys, it's IHOP. You get pancakes at IHOP. So my dad and went and got IHOP. We were talking and uh, came up with this list. There are five things that make a good NFL head coach. I'm going to list them in order of priority. Number one, the most important thing, they need to understand that they are the, how do I put it, the, the CEO of their football team. I think maybe a better way is captain. The best analogy I can think of is that an NFL head coach needs to be kind of like the captain of a pirate ship. On a pirate ship, the captain is not your buddy. You know, you're a little bit intimidated. You're a little bit scared of him. You know, the killers and thieves on your pirate ship need to respect that the captain is the baddest dude of them all. You got to respect him. You got to fear him a little bit. The captain on a pirate ship is not your buddy. You hear stories about the New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick. There is a lot of reverence there. Guys are a little bit afraid of him. There's a great video, Julian Edelman telling a story about the first time he talked to Bill Belichick. They were in a hot tub and it was uncomfortable. And he's, he was scared of Bill Belichick. That's a real thing. Your head coach needs to have reverence in the locker room. Number two, what does your head coach's closet look like? You're, people are going to be furious. What, uh, what are you talking about? No, it's, it's a joke analogy. The question is, is your head coach well-organized? Is your head coach well-organized? You know, in college, I knew a guy who, he lived across from me in the dorm. His dorm room had a pile of clean clothes all the time in the middle. Just literally like his entire room looked like a tornado, just like threw up all in the middle of his room. And he struggled to find his shirts when he needed them because he wasn't organized. He's like, I need to find this shirt. And he literally couldn't find it. He'd be like, three days later, I found the shirt finally underneath this, underneath that, like under a pizza box. If you can't find what you need when you need it, you're not organized. It's a problem. Your head coach needs to be organized. He doesn't just call plays. He has so many other things to manage. He even has to manage more than just the 53 guys on the football team. You have the equipment staff. You have trainers. You have, you know, you're playing a game in Miami. You got to organize the trip to Miami. You got to at least approve for the trip. You either pay someone to do the plan or you make the plan. And sideline organization is so underappreciated in the NFL. We saw a situation on Sunday where the 49ers beat the Saints. They scored a touchdown with, uh, scored a, a field goal with seconds left, but they got the ball with 53 seconds left in the game. And the 49ers, when they got the ball back, with the down one needing to score, they had all three of their timeouts left. And having all three timeouts allowed them to do more and gave them more freedom on offense. 
And you know what that speaks to? It says that Kyle Shanahan, the 49ers head coach, is well-organized. Guys know when they're supposed to be on the field. They're not screwing around. They're not doing anything wrong. The 49ers don't waste timeouts and burn timeouts unnecessarily early in games. They save their timeouts for when they need them. That is the sign of a well-organized head coach. Kyle Shanahan has the best record in the NFC. It's pretty clear Kyle Shanahan is a good NFL head coach. Number three, the, the third thing an NFL coach needs is they need to have the capacity and capability to do high-velocity thinking. What does that mean? It's fourth and two. You're down. You're in field goal range. Do you kick a field goal or do you go for it? Hurry up. You got to make a decision. Hurry up. Hurry up. Hurry up. Stress. People yelling at you. You got to make a decision right now. You don't have time to think. It's got to happen ASAP, immediately, and you got to make the right judgment call. You got to have a head coach who can make high velocity decisions when the pressure is on in big time situations, late in games. If your head coach can't make a good decision in a situation like that, he's not a great head coach in the NFL. Number four, aside from in-game decision making, your coach also needs to have just general good decision making. That's not complicated. Uh, we saw Freddie Kitchens the other day wore a really controversial t-shirt, you're just creating unnecessary drama. To me, that's, hey, that's a bad decision. And in fact, the Pittsburgh Steelers said, our coach wouldn't do that because <laughs> they know oh, our coach has good decision-making. Freddie Kitchen's show was an example, a prime example, wearing a shirt that pissed off the other team that says, hey, I don't really make good decisions. If you can't make good decisions, forget in-game, out of the game, when you have time to sit, you have 30 minutes to sit and think about it, and you still make bad decisions, you can't be a head coach in the NFL, at least to not be a successful one. And then we get to number five, the, le the fifth most important thing, and the order of priority. Remember, there's other stuff that are more important than this, but this is still a prerequisite. You have to have this one trait if you want to be a good NFL head coach. You need to know the game. It's very clear. You got to know the X's and O's. You got to understand scheme. You need to have a good football mind. So I ask yourself, does your favorite team's NFL head coach have all five of these traits? Do guys have reverence for him? Do they respect him? Do they fear him a little bit? Number two, is he organized? Does he get unnecessary penalties? Do you have all kinds of problems? Is he wasting timeouts? Number three, is he a high-velocity thinker? Can he make a good decision right now with no time to think? And actually, sometimes that also can reflect on your preparation. Have you thought about that scenario before? Have you prepared to handle if it's third down, if it's fourth and two on the whatever yard line with a minute left, you're down two. What do you do, right? You're three, whatever, four points, whatever you want to say. Whatever the situation is, have you prepared and thought about it in advance? And then number four, does your head coach, your favorite team's head coach, is he a good decision maker overall? Forget in-game decisions, let's talk about just generally, does he make good decisions? And then number five, finally, is your head coach a good, smart football mind? Does he know X's and O's really well? By the way, Freddie Kitchens, the Browns head coach, fired or you know failed all five of those things just now. Everything I just listed, he's bad at all of them. <laughs> Freddie Kitchens is an awful head coach. I like him. No one fears him. He's not a good football mind. He's disorganized. He's, it's, it's a mess in Cleveland. He literally failed all five criteria as I went through them. Those are the five things you need to become and to be a great NFL head coach. So let's use that metric I created. Is the Giants head coach, Pat Shermer, a good NFL head coach? Okay, well, he has number five, the least most important trait of the five necessary traits that I, you know, I made a list of the five important things you need to be a good NFL head coach. 
Number five, Pat Shermer does know football. He's a good offensive coordinator. You want proof of that? Okay, well, he took Case Keenum to the NFC Championship game with the Minnesota Vikings. He made Case Keenum look incredible for an entire year. I don't think that Pat Shermer is a bad X's and O's guy. He's a great coordinator. He understands the game of football. It's very clear to me. I don't know how you you look at his past work and go, Pat Shermer didn't just forget how to coach football and forget the X's and O's, the nerdy side of football. Now, is he a good decision maker? Forget in-game decisions. Let's talk about outside of game decision-making. Is Pat Shermer generally a good decision-maker? I don't know. I mean, I I really can't come up with a reason to say no, so I'm going to say yes just by default. He's probably a good decision-maker. You know, I've never seen him do anything stupid or horrible or embarrassing publicly. He seems like a guy who's got his head on straight. But Pat Shermer fails the three most important things you need to be a great NFL head coach. The three most important things you need, he fails all of them. Number one, does anybody fear or respect Pat Shermer in that Giants locker room? I definitely don't think anybody fears him. I'm sure they respect him as a man, but man, nobody's afraid of Pat Shermer in that Giants organization. Not at all. There's not a lot of respect for him going on around. If he was a captain of a pirate ship, his ship would have mutinied. A bigger, badder guy would have taken over that ship and said, hey, Pat, you're no longer the captain of this ship. Number two, Pat Shermer's not organized. He's also not a high-velocity thinker. Look at the way the Giants have handled in-game situations this year. They have stupid penalties. They make weird decisions. They do all kinds of—they just mismanage situations later in games in important moments. Uh, you know, I did a topic, again, the, the five things that all NFL head coaches must have. Pat Shermer fails three of the five. Three of the five criteria you need to be a great NFL coach. Do people respect you and fear you? Are you organized? Are you a high-velocity thinker? Can you make decisions when you got to make it right now in a tense, critical situation? Pat Shermer fails all three of those. I think he's a good football mind. I think his decision-making outside of the game, you know, just generally seems fine. But I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong. And, you know, after a lot of thought, I, I want to change my mind. Pat Shermer should no longer be the head coach of the New York Giants. Nope. The Giants should hire Ron Rivera, the former Panthers head coach, to be their next head coach in New York. They should move on. They should walk away. Ron Rivera should be the next head coach of the New York Giants. He's well-respected. He's organized. He makes good decisions in game moments in critical situations. He's an overall good decision maker, and he knows X's and O's. He's a great defensive mind. He's a brilliant defensive coordinator. Now, I have a hope. It will not happen. It's too radical of an idea, but I have a hope and a dream that this will happen for the New York Giants. I'm not a Giants fan. I just, hey, I want to see teams be successful. I like creating plans. How do you fix this team? The Giants should make Ron Rivera their head coach. Make him, he's in charge of the defense. He's the head coach of the New York Giants. And here's the radical part. Then you demote Pat Shermer. You keep Pat Shermer in the building, but you say, hey, Pat, You're no longer the head coach. You're just now the offensive coordinator. Go do what you're good at. You're a good offensive coordinator. You've never been a good head coach. doesn't seem like you got it going on. We're going to demote you. And I don't like the idea of, here's why. Here's why you keep Pat Shermer. I hate the idea of changing offensive schemes during the offseason for rookie quarterback Daniel Jones. You have this rookie quarterback Daniel Jones who is still finding his footing in New York. He's not even allowed to make checks at the line of scrimmage yet. He can't check to runs the same way Eli Manning, the old quarterback, can. 
And to make Daniel Jones learn an entirely new system going into year two of his NFL career is a bad move. I don't, I, I just think that's a horribly bad like, plan. I just think that hurts Daniel Jones. I would not, I repeat, I would not, I really, really strongly would not make Daniel Jones learn a new offense going into year two. Seems like a bad idea. I, I think making him scratch all the progress he's made and restart is a mistake. Pat Shermer might not be a good head coach, but he is a good offensive coordinator. I demote him. And I really think the locker room would be fine if you demoted Pat Shermer. The Giants players don't have a ton of respect for him anyways. And I think Pat Shermer would take the offer. If you said, hey, Pat, you're no longer the head coach. We want to keep you. Here's the offer. You're either fired or you become our offensive coordinator. I think he takes it. I think Pat Shermer would be willing to be the offensive coordinator. He loves football. He likes Daniel Jones. He likes New York. I think he likes it there. I think, honestly, I think Pat Shermer can understand and realize I'm a little bit in over my head. I'm not the head coach I, I want to be and I wish I was. I think he said, hey, Pat, you're fired or you're the offensive coordinator. He would just take the offensive coordinator job. He'd help Daniel Jones. He'd build a good offense. That's what he does. That's literally his best skill set is he can hate him, love him as a head coach, whatever. Forget head coach Pat Shermer in the past. Look at what he did with the Vikings. He's a good offensive coordinator. He's not an idiot. He's not a loser. He knows football, but his skills are not the skills of a head coach. Hire Ron Rivera as the head coach. Demote Pat Shermer. Make Pat Shermer the offensive coordinator and keep continuity for the Giants rookie quarterback, Daniel Jones. That is my proposal. That is my radical hope for the New York Giants franchise. Okay, um, Broncos rookie quarterback Drew Locke had his second ever start in the NFL on Sunday. Um, he started for the Broncos in Houston. His team beat the Texans 38-24. to And uh, statistically, Drew Locke was outstanding. He was 22 for 27 passing. He only had five incompletions on the entire day. He had 309 yards passing, three touchdowns. He did have an interception. Now, honestly, this will make Broncos fans mad, but hear me out before you get mad. I think despite the good numbers, Drew Locke actually played a pretty ugly football game. There's a lot of, which is a, it's a good thing. If you're a giant, if you're a Broncos fan, don't get mad at me. Listen, hear me out. It's a good thing. If your quarterback can succeed and make a ton of mistakes and look kind of ugly at times, it means he's got a lot of room to grow, which means we're nowhere near the ceiling for Drew Locke, the Giants, or the, Jesus, Drew Locke, the Broncos head coach. What am I saying? Drew Locke is the Broncos quarterback, and he's nowhere near his ceiling. He's got a lot of room to grow. English is hard, man. You know, it's, it, why do I talk for a living? I have no idea. It's very difficult for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Before I dive into the technical football stuff, the nerdy football stuff, I want to explain to you something I saw that made me believe in Drew Locke. It's not about footwork or his throwing ability or his decision-making. I saw this one thing when I was watching Drew Locke and anybody go, oh, yep, Drew Locke has it. Whatever it is, that it factor, Drew Locke has it. When you get in the heat of the moment, I think a great analogy is uh, you're in traffic, you're late, um, and you take a wrong turn. You're like, man, we're already five minutes late. We got to be there. We're, we're running late. And someone's giving you directions, and there's just a lot going on around you. How do you respond to that moment? Literally, like, how do you react in that stressful moment? Are you the kind of person that goes, ah, it's all right. 
We'll figure out where the right turn is. Do you just stay calm? And do you figure out a new course of action and figure out a plan to get what you need to get done? Or are you the kind of person who goes, ah, and you, your chest tightens up and you panic and you start sweating and you get angry because, you know, there's a pedestrian and there's this and there's that. And how do you respond in a chaotic, stressful moment or just a big moment in your life? Either people have that, that calming reaction where they just, the world seems to slow down around them and they have clarity, or some people panic. Drew Locke looks calm and composed in his biggest moments I've seen him play. Drew Locke is, he's got it, man. Drew Locke in his second start in the NFL on the road in Houston, this gigantic, massive, towering building on the road, looked totally calm. Looked like, he, he actually looked like he had fun. Drew Locke, to me, I was like, man, this guy, Drew Locke, has it. He can ball. He's the kind of guy that when the world gets stressful, when there's a big, important moment going on, he doesn't start sweating bullets. His chest doesn't tighten up. In fact, Drew Locke smiles, has fun, and just keeps moving forward. That is why I believe in Drew Locke, aside from football. Now, let's talk about football. I want to offer a warning to Broncos fans. On Sunday, Drew Locke succeeded a lot in spite of himself. He had a lot of success. He looked really good. Well, he didn't, he didn't look really good, but he had the numbers look really good, right? The, the final product, the result is like, wow, five incompletions, 300 yards passing, three touchdowns. You won by a lot. But the truth is he's got a lot of growing to do. He had sloppy footwork. He was falling away from his throws. He had a inter bad interception late in the game where he forced a throw into double coverage. And he got a lot of help from his tight end, Noah Fant. Noah Fant is phenomenal. And he made some plays that made Drew Locke's numbers look a lot better than they should have been. He made some tough catches. He made some plays where he'd break a tackle and run after the catch. And Drew Locke was relying very heavily on that wristband. It was a thing that the people, the announcers kept talking about. You could see it, man. The guy is checking his wristband constantly. And he's not, what, is, what that means is he's not like trying to remember the play. He's trying to remember, okay, you gave us this formation. Where is the tight end line up? Do I have a motion on this play? The little fine details. He knows the play generally. It's the little things that Drew Locke clearly hasn't mastered yet. Where is this guy going? Is this, you know, Z motion? Does that mean Z goes this way? He's checking things to make sure. And he's probably a lot of time, maybe even doing it out of a nervous tick. I heard the play call. I think I know it. But let me just double check to make sure I have it right before I run this play. Because he doesn't want to screw up. It's like a nervous tick he has is to check that wristband. It just tells me he hasn't mastered their offense yet, which you can't expect. He's a rookie quarterback. But here's the fear. Drew Locke has had success despite the fact he hasn't mastered that offense, despite the fact that he has some sloppy footwork and he's falling away from some throws. Now, I think he's going to keep working and getting better, but he needs to keep working and he needs to keep getting better. The fear is that he lets his foot off the gas. It's easy when you have a little bit of success early to get complacent and to not put your foot down and keep driving forward and saying, no, I still need to keep getting better. I still need to keep getting better and keep doing more and more and more. We saw some great stuff from Drew Locke, man. He threw a touch when he needed to. I love his mobility. He had a great throw on the left sideline. And even though he was a little bit late to the throw, he threw a perfect dime over that left shoulder, man. It was awesome. Drew Locke is really talented and there's a, a really high ceiling here but he's got to keep working to reach that ceiling he can't get complacent and let his foot off the gas at all and man I read a story uh it was after the Broncos game and it said the Broncos plan to keep their offensive coordinator Rich Gangarello I was like yeah duh 
of course they're gonna keep Rich Gangarello. I think if, if that's the I didn't realize that that was literally the narrative that people like should we fire our offensive coordinator. If that's really a narrative that went on in Denver, people in Denver, y'all are stupid. I'm really sorry. I cannot believe that was ever a discussion. What are you? What's going on? You had Joe Flacco at quarterback, an unmotivated guy who I, I really am frankly convinced Joe Flacco doesn't love football. Watch Drew Locke, the joy Drew Locke plays with, and then you watch. I watched Joe Flacco a lot this year. He did not look like he was having fun, didn't look happy to be there. Drew Locke uh, enjoys the game of football in a way that I do not believe Joe Flacco does. So Rich Gangarello had to deal with Joe Flacco for a bit of this year. Then he got Brandon Allen. Brandon Allen was a, a quarterback. He's, I think he'd been in the league for like three years. He'd never played a game before this year in his entire life in the NFL. Rich Gangarello found a way to win with Brandon Allen. A no-name, no offense, but a no-name quarterback, I think from Arkansas, I believe it, no idea. A no-name quarterback, Brandon Allen, and Rich Gangarello still found a way to win games. And now, with a rookie quarterback, Drew Locke, Rich Gangarello is doing such a good job creating a good game plan, keeping things simple, but also challenging Drew Locke. Uh, They're running great screen passes. They have well-designed plays. Rich Gangarello, the offensive coordinator in Denver, apparently is underappreciated. I didn't realize his job was ever a concern and so I cannot believe that was ever a consideration. Did people really consider firing Rich Gangarello? Because that's stupid if that was the case. He's a wonderful, really good offensive coordinator. And they are, and people in Denver are so lucky. Rich Gangarello is the guy in charge of Drew Locke's development. He is a fantastic offensive coordinator. And he understands how to help a young quarterback develop and be successful. I'm so impressed. I think he's the right guy. And I think it's a shame that it was ever even in doubt that he would be the right guy in Denver. In fact, look, I have I'm changing my tune on something. I've always said, you know, young quarterbacks shouldn't have a defensive-minded head coach and I've said, I don't like that. I don't like that. Here's the reality. A defensive-minded head coach doesn't work with the quarterback. If you're going to have a defensive-minded head coach, all you got to do is figure out you got you got to have a good offensive coordinator. Apparently, look at Vic Fangio with the 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 Broncos. I, I've had this theory for a long time that Defensive defensive-minded head coaches can't work with a young quarterback. I think I'm just wrong about that. I think it's just silly. Because as long as you get the right person on offense, as long as you get the right offensive coordinator to work with that young quarterback, it doesn't matter who the head coach is. Whatever slant offense or defense the head coach has, as long as the offensive coordinator is right. The way we're seeing in Denver with Rich, Rich Gangarello and Drew Locke, as long as the offensive coordinator is right, it doesn't matter who the head coach is. I'm going to change my tune. I think defensive-minded head coaches can actually work with young quarterbacks better than I initially believed. Now, um, let's discuss the Texans' side of affairs. The Texans just lost to the Broncos 38-24. to And uh, it's a really—the final score is very generous. <laughs> the reality, you know, 38-24 to is not how the game went. The reality is that the game was— Far more. Uh, it wasn't even that close. It just the game was not as close as thirty-eight to twenty-four would suggest. The score was thirty-one to three at halftime. Thirty-one to three. Uh, the Texans got kind of their butts kicked a little bit. Now, my initial reaction when I saw the final score and the scores throughout the day, I, I had a lot of empathy for Houston Texans fans. I said, "Man, Houston Texans fans for a long time have been calling." for Bill O'Brien, the head coach's job. They said, Bill O'Brien wins enough, but he's not good enough. we got to fire him, get rid of him. And so I saw this score developing, and I said, man, it just looks like he did not get his team ready to to play. Okay, well, maybe the problem is Bill O'Brien just can't get his team to play consistently enough. And I was like, okay. I I bought into the narrative very briefly. I said, okay, 
Let's hear it out. Let's go watch the game. And, um, you know, maybe there's an argument. Maybe the Texans just fell flat on their face. And maybe they weren't ready to play. But actually, I watched the game. And that wasn't the case. It wasn't like the Texans just were not ready to play. Here's what happened. I learned a lot about the Texans. There's one moment that I think you can talk about in this game where Bill O'Brien made a bad decision. like In, in a game-time, moment-to-moment decision, he made a misstep. And I acknowledge that. That's not great. That's a mistake. You can't have it. Now, for the record, Bill Belichick also made a mistake on Sunday. Like A coach that makes an occasional mistake, and maybe it's not occasional for Bill O'Brien or not, but I will say there was a point in the second quarter, it was fourth and one. Now, the Texans were losing 24-2. to three they were down 21 points but they had the ball on their own 34 yard line on fourth and one they went for it and they didn't get it which allowed the Broncos to go ahead and score another touchdown which made it 31 to three at halftime I believe that the Houston Texans should have punted the ball away rather than go for it on fourth and one on your own 34 yard line that seems like a mistake but I thought that was the only situation where Bill O'Brien mismanaged the game I really thought that honestly The reason why the Broncos lost was not because of Bill O'Brien. The question is, how much of the blame should go on the coaching for that loss to the Denver Broncos? I mean, the Broncos got out to this gigantic lead. What happened? How did this happen? Well, first of all, the Texans fumbled. It was 7-0. The the Texans were losing 7-0. Then they fumbled, and the Broncos picked that up and took it for a touchdown. Dagger to the heart. You did nothing wrong. Suddenly it's, well, at least your coach did nothing wrong. It's now 14-0 and you're getting the ball back. And then throughout the first half of that game, the Broncos were getting a constant pass rush in the face of Deshaun Watson. The Texans could not block on the offensive line at all. They were missing assignments. They could not sustain one-on-one blocks. It was a mess. The fumble wasn't Bill O'Brien's fault. If you want to fault Bill O'Brien for anything, you can say, hey, well, Bill O'Brien, if you want to be mad at him, be mad at Bill O'Brien for not giving Deshaun Watson a better offensive line. I believe he's the guy who makes that call in Houston. He's got to build a better offensive line. Uh, Deshaun Watson's running for his life. The offensive line's missing assignments. They cannot finish one-on-one blocks. There's a massive issue in Houston. It's the offensive line. So the O-line was a problem. That's part of why they got down by so much. They couldn't score in the first half because pressure was getting to Deshaun Watson so frequently. Now, why did the Texans give up so many points in the first half? They gave up 31 points in the first half. They were down 31-3 to at halftime. In the second half, they cleaned things up a lot. In the second half, the Texans only gave up seven points. So something changed. Well, first of all, one of the things that changed was that the Denver Broncos changed their approach. They were not trying to put up points in the second half so much as they were trying to burn the clock. They were running the ball, taking their time, just trying to run up the clock a little bit. That's part of it. But the other part of it is that the Texans also made adjustments to Drew Locke on defense. Going into the game, the Houston Texans had no film of Drew Locke. They had one game he'd played, his first ever NFL start, and that's like a very vanilla thing. You, you, you can't take away a lot from one game. And the, the truth is that the Texans, Romeo Cornell, the head coach, of the, or the, the defensive coordinator for the Texans, was talking about he had to go watch Missouri film. He had to go watch Missouri film, film from Drew Locke in college to go learn about Drew Locke and see what they might do. They said, okay, because Drew Locke did this in college and that worked, maybe we're going to guess that maybe they'll do that in Denver, uh, Denver will do that in Houston against us. A lot of speculation. How do you prepare for a guy you've never seen play before? You don't know what to expect schematically. That really hurt the Houston Texans. Drew Locke is solid, but the Texans had no idea what to prepare for. 
That's why Denver put up so many points in the first half, at least part of it. Let's look at the Texans season so far. A lot of people want Bill O'Brien, the head coach, fired. Well, okay, I'll, the Texans are 8-5. and five. They lead their division. They just beat the Patriots two weeks ago. Clearly, like, they're doing something right. You beat the Patriots. I don't care how good or bad the Patriots are. You beat Bill Belichick. That's a sign that you're doing something right. Here are the five losses by the Houston Texans this year. They lost to the Saints by two points. The New Orleans Saints, the number two seed in the entire NFC, a great football team. They might win the Super Bowl this year. They lost to the Saints by two points. They also lost to the Panthers by six. They lost to the Colts by a touchdown. Those are three losses, all one-score games. Now, I acknowledge the Texans got buried, buried by the Baltimore Ravens 41-7 earlier this year. Now, the Ravens might be the best team in the NFL. They might win the Super Bowl. I don't know how to defend that. You got destroyed. Uh, that's embarrassing and a bad loss. It's just a just bad. Now they've lost to the Broncos, their fifth loss of the year. They lost three games by one score. They lost to the Ravens. They got decimated. And then they lost to a solid rookie quarterback that they had no film of whatsoever. Those five losses are not as bad when you look at what's really happened. Three losses by one score. Now, I can't defend the Ravens game. That's just embarrassing. And you can explain away what happened against the Broncos. So I wouldn't fire Bill O'Brien. He's not a bad head coach. The things you need to do to be a good head coach. He's great with X's and O's. I think people do fear him. I think people respect him in that locker room. I think that he is well-organized enough. He makes, and he's not a great decision maker. Like maybe the third thing you need to be a head coach, which is you got to have high velocity thinking. He's not a great guy with high velocity thinking. He screws up in-game decisions from time to time. But overall, decision-making is good. If he nails four of the five things you need to be a great head coach, he's good enough in my opinion. And I would not fire Bill O'Brien as the Houston Texans head coach. I think he's good enough. I I really believe that. I stand by that. Bill O'Brien's a good enough guy. I would keep him as the Texans head coach. I would not fire him in Houston. Man, we're flying through the show. Um... The Patriots lost to the Kansas City Chiefs 23-16. to And Patriots fans want to blame the refs. Now, I acknowledge there were some missed calls. Not everything was perfect by the referees on Sunday. The Patriots scored a touchdown, but it was ruled out of bounds. It was very clear on video. That's a mistake. And later, near the end of the game, there was a pass interference on third and six that was missed. Now, I want to remind people that the next play on 4th and 6th, Tom Brady ran for 12 yards, got the first down anyway. And a lot of people will say, well, they missed out on a chance to potentially score because of that pass interference if he'd caught the ball. You don't know that he would have caught the ball. The Patriots receivers suck. And, you know, frankly, like, you don't know that he would have scored anyways, even if he had caught the ball. So I think here's what happened. There's a couple of issues with blaming the refs. Um, number one, the Patriots used up all of their challenges. Earlier in the game, in the, was it the third quarter? They challenged first. They used their one challenge by challenging the ruling on the field and the, the spot of the ball. It was a, a very close play. The, the Chiefs narrowly got the first down. Bill Belichick throws the challenge flag. I don't think you should challenge that. I think it's a mistake. When it's that close and you can't really tell, here's how, if I'm a head coach in the NFL, I look at the Jumbotron. If I can say, hey, hey, that's clearly a catch. We're going to challenge that. Or that's clearly pass interference. We're going to challenge that. If I look on the Jumbotron, and I see a guy getting tackled, and I can't tell clearly that's a first down or not, I'm not burning a challenge that early in the game the way Bill Belichick did. I'm not very critical of Bill Belichick very often. I think he's a genius, wonderful head coach. 
I think uh, this was a mistake here. I think he did a mistake by using a challenge that early in the game. Now, five plays later, he used his second challenge. It was a fumble that the refs blew dead. They called it not a fumble. The refs were very, very wrong here. Bill Belichick had to throw a, uh, had to throw a challenge flag here. It got the Patriots the ball, but even though they got the ball, they really still got kind of screwed over because the Patriots didn't have a chance to pick up the ball, scoop, and score. They could have really picked up that fumble and ran for a touchdown because it was blown dead. They didn't get that opportunity either. So, man, I acknowledge the, the Patriots got screwed there. They did challenge it. They at least got the ball back. I'm not saying the refs are perfect. I'm not. Um, you know, I, I will say Belichick's first challenge, challenging, you're challenging a first down marker that's really close. It's not really, there's no clear evidence. That's a mistake to challenge out of my opinion. Too close to call. And, you know, there's an issue in the NFL when you blame the refs. You know, first of all, you only get two challenges in the NFL. To burn one is a big deal. To burn one in a game, you only get two challenges a game. But when you blame the refs, you forget that, oh, uh, my team probably also made mistakes. You got to look in the mirror. Before you blame somebody else, look in the mirror. What could you have done better? What could you have done better to avoid this outcome? Instead of blaming someone else, you got to look in the mirror a lot of the time. You can't control what someone else does. Not very often. In the NFL, you're lucky. Most people in the NFL, you can't. If someone does, if someone does you really wrong in the real world, you can't just say, hey, I'm going to throw a challenge flag. You're wrong. No, all you can do is control what you can control. Not very often you can say, hey, you're wrong. Let me challenge you on that. I mean, you can, but it doesn't mean you'll get your way. <laughs> you can challenge anybody. You, you can challenge people all day. You just probably might not get your way the same way. In the NFL, there's rules literally set up to give you your way if you're right. In high school, I lost a high school football game. It was my first varsity start in a crazy, crazy way on a wild play. I want you to look up, if you get a, ever get a chance, look up River Skyview blocked kick we were on come on man we were world's worst we were on not top 10 for a long time and uh after the game was it's all said and done we're in the locker room after the game and we were all upset we lost this game on this one play we blocked their field goal they ran it back for a touchdown it was embarrassing humiliating we kind of wanted to blame the rest we're just mad about it and the message we got after the game was that a football game never comes down to one play it's a sum of a bunch of plays all added together that creates an outcome. A football game never comes down to one play. You can blame the refs all you want if you're a Patriots fan, but you also got to acknowledge the Patriots had a lot of opportunities that they missed. Number one, the Patriots intercepted Patrick Mahomes early in that game. They didn't capitalize. They couldn't turn it into points. That stinks. They also hit Patrick Mahomes a ton in that game. They had him on the ground all game running for his life. They still couldn't stop him very much. And at the beginning of the game, Patrick Mahomes was holding his hand, looked injured. He wasn't throwing the ball very well. They still couldn't capitalize. Patrick Mahomes wasn't 100%. They got an interception. They hit him a bunch, and they still lost. The Patriots also had a field goal that got blocked. They kicked a field goal. The Chiefs blocked it later on the fourth and seven. On the 27-yard line going in, it would have been about a 45-yard field goal. The Patriots went for it on fourth down instead of kicking the field goal. They passed up another three points. So that's already six points off the board with a blocked field goal and deciding to go for it and not get it. Um, then later, the Patriots failed a two-point conversion. That's how many? That's eight points off the board for the Patriots. They could have scored that they didn't. And at least at least seven because they could have just kicked the extra point. My, my point is this. The Patriots had a lot of missed opportunities. And then never, ever, 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 ever forget this one thing about this game. Say whatever you want about the referees. You can act like the Patriots got screwed and had no chances. 
And I, I'm a, I like the Patriots. I, I, I think I respect them a lot more than most people in the NFL. People usually call me a Patriots fan. I'm not a Patriots fan. I respect them. But it's a, I guess it's a very anti-Patriots take. My apologies. But never forget, complain to the refs all you want. The Patriots had the ball on the 12-yard line, first and 10, with two minutes and 40 seconds left. And they could not score the game-tying touchdown. They got stopped four plays in a row. An incomplete pass, a run, a slant to like you know the five-yard line. And then on fourth and three, they threw an incomplete pass into the end zone and got knocked away. The Patriots had opportunities to win that football game. The refs were not great. I can acknowledge the refs made a lot of dumb, boneheaded mistakes. But it doesn't change the fact that the Patriots still had opportunities to do better and win that game. And they didn't capitalize. The the Patriots are the reason they lost the game. The Patriots lost that game. The refs didn't steal the game from the Patriots. The Patriots need to look in the mirror. They made too many critical mistakes. And that is why they lost on Sunday against the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, boy. Um, I hate... There's one thing I hate right now. I, I, I am so frustrated watching Tom Brady play football. It just is so infuriating to me because I see a guy who's a good quarterback getting shafted. Um, the media narratives infuriate me, the way people talk about Tom Brady. People are so wrong. I cannot believe even people that like played in the past in the NFL are saying things like, well, it's pretty clear. Look at the numbers. Tom Brady's just falling off a cliff. He's not the same. Shut your mouth. I don't understand. How can you call yourself a football analyst if you just look at numbers and you don't actually freaking watch football? I don't, I just cannot fathom. People just keep saying, well, passer rating this and completion percentage this and this and this. Stop with the stats. Stop. Statistics are massively overrated. I just am so tired of the stats. Great. Tom Brady's throwing incomplete passes. Why is he throwing incomplete passes? He's throwing incomplete passes because he's getting thrown to the ground as he throws. He's throwing the ball away to avoid a sack or to avoid making a worse mistake. He had a play on Sunday against the Chiefs where he had pressure in his face. He literally just threw the ball into the dirt at his feet because technically the guy next to him, number 83, was an eligible receiver who was blocking, but technically eligible. So he threw the ball in the dirt and said, hey, eligible receiver nearby, not intentional grounding, and I didn't take a sack. How many times has Tom Brady done that this year? That's why his completion percentage is so bad. Here's the other reason. His offensive line is terrible, like awful. This is the worst offensive line Tom Brady's ever played with. But then this is also the worst receiving core he's ever played with, and not talent-wise. I'm not talking about talent. Um, You know, a lot of people, we used to, the people used to praise Tom Brady for saying, you know, being like, he wins with no-name receivers. That's so impressive. And it was impressive. And now this year, he's got no-name receivers again, and he can't win. And people are saying, well, it's clearly because he's old. That's, you know, what changed? It's not, not the players. Not the, the reason why Tom Brady can't win with these no-name guys is because he's just old. That's such lazy analysis, and it's so overwhelmingly wrong. It's wrong. It's like, ah, I, I, I sound like I'm losing my mind. It's because I've been... Go watch my videos in the past. I've been saying the same thing for weeks, and people keep being more and more wrong about this. People keep blaming the wrong thing. It's not his age. This is why Tom Brady used to win football games with not a lot of talent, with no-name receivers. He used to win with no-name guys because they were always in the right spot. They had perfect attention to detail. 
They ran the right route every time. They had, were in the right spot. They were perfectly organized. They did all the little things right. Here's the huge difference this year in New England. The attention to detail is awful from his receivers. Guys run the wrong routes. They're in the wrong spot. They're not paying attention to signals. They're missing signals. If they had options, they would fire every single one of their guys, except for Julian Edelman and Nikhil Harry. It's infuriating to watch as a guy who, I just like Tom Brady, and I like getting things right, and people are so wrong with their analysis of the Patriots. It's like, are you, what are you watching? Are you, clearly people just never played quarterback before, and they don't know what they're talking about. Oh, I'm fired up. I gotta relax. Um, now, blaming lack of talent is not quite the right thing either. Nikhil Harry is a talented rookie receiver. He's picked in the first round. Nikhil Harry is very physically gifted. I think someday Nikhil Harry is going to be a really good NFL receiver. But right now, Nikhil Harry is still figuring things out. He's making mental mistakes. Um, and all the receivers are making mental mistakes. Philip Dorsett is by far the Patriots' worst receiver. He runs the wrong routes. He's missing signals. Tom Brady literally gives him signals, and he's not getting them. There was a play on Sunday against the Chiefs where the Chiefs ran an all-out blitz after Tom Brady, which means, hey— if I'm the quarterback, i got to catch the ball and get it out as quick as I can. He catches it, gets it out of Philip Dorsett. Philip Dorsett's an idiot, doesn't get his head around, doesn't even look for the ball, and Tom Brady throws incomplete, which makes Tom Brady look bad when it's not his fault. I get it if you're watching and you go, well, all I see are incompletions and you know Tom Brady getting thrown to the ground and throwing the ball away. Like Clearly, that's Tom Brady's fault, but the reason is because the structure and the organization of the Patriots offense right now, the guys aren't paying good enough attention to detail. They're not living up to the standard of NFL receivers. It's so hard to watch. Tom Brady's offensive line is awful. They cannot sustain blocks for more than two and a half seconds. And Tom Brady keeps having receivers that make mental mistakes. Not only are the receivers not good enough to win one-on-one battles, they're also literally in the wrong spot. I don't know what to tell you. I, if, if I would play quarterback for the Patriots, I would just get des- I, I Look, I would do that anyways. I'm not an NFL quarterback. But if I played on a football team where I had a chance to win, and then my receivers literally ran the wrong route all the time, or my offensive line said, hey, uh, here you go, deal with this problem, <laughs> and you had no time to throw the ball, I don't know how you win. I just don't know how you win. It's not about talent around Brady. It's about the lack of guys being in the right spot. The way they won with guys like Troy Brown and I, literally guys I can't name because I don't remember their names. No-name wide receivers. The reason they won before is because the attention to detail was there. They had smart guys who took, got Tom Brady signals. They got in the right spot. They ran the right route every time. There's about two guys in the Patriots that do that. It's you know Julian Edelman and James White. Otherwise, guys aren't doing the right thing. They're in the wrong spot constantly. You know Philip Dorsett's the worst. And uh, terrible offensive line, bad receivers who aren't you just keep making mental mistakes and aren't up to the NFL standard. I don't understand how the Patriots could be winning uh, and doing well in offense. It's just Tom Brady's being screwed, and uh, I think he should leave. I think Tom Brady literally should say, hey, I'm going to leave New England and go find a team that can actually support me and give me good talent around me because we got a good defense, we got good special teams, and our offensive line is trash, our rookie receivers are trash, and I am tired of losing, and it's not my fault. If I was Tom Brady, I'd get out of Dodge and say, hey, I'm going to go to a football team, that can support me and give me the help I deserve and not get rid of all my good players and not get rid of all my good receivers every time I get to finally get a good player. Um, it's, it's not Tom Brady's fault that the Patriots are struggling on offense. And I probably sound way too fired up and angry, but I, I am. I'm at my wit's end hearing analysts be wrong over and over and over again. It's so idiotic. And I'll do a film analysis when the season ends and I get, they have a bye week and I finally get a chance to make the video. Um, I've been... Really, just got a lot going on. Um, I, 
I need to make that video though because I need to show you guys it's it's not Brady. It's not Brady, and it's uh, infuriating to me to hear the media and to hear fans be so ridiculously wrong about the reasons why the Patriots are struggling on offense. Ooh. Okay, we have one, two, we have like three stories left. Four. Four stories left. We got a lot of stuff left. I'm on a roll, though. I feel great. I'm not even going to take a break. I'm just going to keep talking. Um, let's talk about the Patriots' newest cheating scandal. <laughs> so I guess the Patriots had cameras at the most recent Cincinnati Bengals game. Now, also, for the record, the Patriots play the Bengals coming up this weekend, so that's why it's a big deal. Um, the Patriots had permission to film on site of the Bengals game. They were playing, I think, the Browns. And according to them, according to the Patriots, they were filming for their YouTube documentary series, Do Your Job. It's a real thing. You can Google Do Your Job or at least YouTube. Look up, go to YouTube and look up Do Your Job. It's a real video series, I think. I found a playlist with seven videos. Uh, it's a real thing they've been making. And uh, the Patriots got accused of signaling the Bengals, or excuse me, filming the Bengals' hand signals. So number one, if this is true, if the Patriots are cheating and filming the Bengals' sig signals and they are idiots, if you're filming the Bengals' signals, you're doing it wrong. If you're going to cheat, at least do it right. That's all I'm saying. If you're going to cheat, how about you cheat against the Kansas City Chiefs, a good team that you lost to that you really could have used the advantage? <laughs> if, that, if by some way... The Patriots are actually cheating. I want to say they're cheating wrong. You cheat because you want to get an advantage over someone who is better than you. The Patriots are far better than the Bengals, and the Bengals have no chance to beat the Patriots. I'm like, I'm like this is, if they're going to cheat, at least cheat against someone that is worthy of cheating against, like the Ravens or the Chiefs or, I don't know, the Bills. Don't cheat against the Bengals. I don't think they did cheat. I just think it's an idiotic claim. It makes no sense if the, Beng if the Patriots are going to cheat. They wouldn't cheat against the Cincinnati Bengals. Think about it logically. Forget your emotion and just go, oh, yeah, that doesn't really make any sense, does it, to cheat against the Bengals, who are awful. Now, reports say that Bill Belichick was furious when he found out that the Patriots were being accused of cheating and he found out what was going on. Um, apparently, the guys filming were from the Patriots' television production team, which is an entirely separate entity, a separate branch, separate different bosses, different people. They all answer to Robert Kraft, the owner, but there's football operations on one side, then there's the Patriots television production, and that's a, not even related to Patriots football operations. So when Bill Belichick found out we're connected to this, I'm sure he went, fire, who, who, what idiot did that? Let's get him out of here. Because to me, it sounds like I, we have a marketing guy with a camera just making bad decisions and making the Patriots look terrible. So I, I believe the Patriots here. I don't think they cheated. I, it doesn't, logically, it doesn't make sense. Why would you cheat against the Bengals but not against the Chiefs? Okay, that's stupid. And why would you, why would you do this? I don't, it doesn't, it, there's this, and it's, it makes sense because it's a guy who's not even a part of the football operations who did it, who is filming for a legitimate thing, which is a, a documentary series on YouTube. The NFL is not going to be harsh on this. The NFL, it just, it makes the Patriots look bad in the scheme of things, but the NFL is not going to punish the Patriots harshly for this. It just seems like a dumb misunderstanding. Um, and uh, I get why the NFL is nervous because of the past, the NFL fans and people. Um, but I will say that you, you, there's something that goes on in, in life where when you know someone who becomes successful or has a little bit of success, it's hard to accept it. You know, people are 
they, they have a hard time accepting that it's earned. They go, oh, that person got lucky. This person got lucky or this, this or that. Or it's, no, no, it's not luck. The Patriots aren't lucky that they won the Super Bowls they've won and done what they've done. They earned that. Um, I think people often find reasons to hate people who are successful. Now, I'm sure my tone of voice is not allowing this message to be sent out properly. I'm sure a lot of people tuned me out earlier because I sound angry. I'm not angry. I just is how I talk. Um, but it's just the truth. I think that often people hate the Patriots because they win. And that makes them uncomfortable or frustrated. And you want to—I think some cheating did go on. Spygate was, um, I think, the Patriots trying to bend the rules in the early 2000s. And they got caught, and they were wrong. I think the Flategate was stupid. I think that was silly. Um, and I think that—because uh, like everybody deflates footballs. At least they used to in the past. Now they don't anymore. But at the time, with Deflategate, was, they were caught, They were caught, quote-unquote, cheating. Everybody was deflating footballs. People have been doing that in high school football, college football, the NFL for years. That's football. And I think often the Patriots get accused of cheating and get called cheaters all the time. I think they did cheat one time. I think Spygate was a, a legitimate moment where they got caught with their pants down. But to say that they, they win because they cheat is silly to me. I mean, they, they're, they have in many ways invented a new mousetrap. They have incredibly efficient systems. They're really smart. They know football. They're well-organized. They have great special teams. They have great attention to detail on all phases of football. You know, not this year on offense, at least, but man, for the most part on defense and special teams, they are phenomenally sound and attentive to detail. Um, I think the Patriots are a really well-functioning organization with high standards, and that's why they win. And to say that they win because they cheat is just because I think a lot of people are angry, tired of the Patriots. And when someone succeeds, it's easier to acknowledge and find a way to undermine them and not believe that it's authentic than it is to just say, oh, this person probably worked really hard. Or, you know, you know, they're up, all, you know, Bill Belichick's up all night <laughs> till five in the morning. And then he gets up at eight o'clock and goes back to practice. Like you got to also respect someone who works hard. And so um, I think the, the cheating thing, it, it's uh, I don't I don't think the Patriots cheated here. And I think that there's a tendency in the NFL and among NFL fandom to hate on the Patriots because they win and because it's it's fun to make, you know, to hate on the guy who's successful than it is to. uh to acknowledge that maybe some of the victories and some of the success has been earned. Huh. Okay. Um, Utah State quarterback Jordan Love just declared for the NFL draft. And I think this is the right move for him. I'm glad he's going to the NFL. He could have stayed in college. I think the only wrong move he could have made was to stay at Utah State. Jordan Love was considering transferring to another school. I heard rumors about Texas Tech and Oklahoma were thrown out there. Um, and he was considering transferring or going to the NFL. In the end, he has decided to go to the NFL. Um, I think that's the right move. At Utah State, he had horrible, horrible teammates. An awful offensive line. And you know it was hurting his development as a quarterback to every week be matched up against teams that were more physically dominant and gifted than them. And usually, I've even made videos saying that it's good for quarterbacks to not play. Like, I think playing at Alabama can hurt you a little bit, a little bit of your development, because you're never challenged in the pocket. But the, the pendulum can swing the other way too far, where, you know, I think that if you're playing for an offensive line, with an offensive line that is literally awful, and you have teammates who are awful all the time, and you're just trying to be Superman constantly, it can really hurt your your decision-making and your habits and all kinds of stuff. And I think Jordan Love has somewhat been a victim of his teammates were terrible and he was trying to carry them and trying to be Superman a lot this year. And that's why they were so bad. And he developed some bad habits because of his offensive line. And the best thing for Jordan Love was to just get away from Utah State. Get out of there. 
Go get better coaching. Go get better teammates. Put yourself in a better position to develop as a quarterback because where you're at, you're not developing. You're getting worse, actually. Here, he literally got worse. Last year, uh, two years ago, excuse me, his sophomore year, he had 32 touchdowns and six interceptions. This past year, in his junior campaign, he had 17 touchdowns and 16 interceptions. The interceptions are just an example, but the, 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 what that shows is that right now, the way Jordan Love has been playing, he's not ready for the NFL. And we learned a big problem with Jordan Love. We learned a big flaw. Um, what changed around Jordan Love was that his talent was awful uh, and that he got a new coaching staff going into this year, his junior year. And this new offense at Utah State forced him to learn a new offense and learn to do things differently. He had to throw more regularly to his second option and his third option. He couldn't just rely on throwing to his first read all the time. And we learned that Jordan Love, this is why Jordan Love is not ready for the NFL. Jordan Love really struggles to come off of his first option. And almost always, I say quarterbacks should stay in college. I very rarely say a guy should come out. But to get away from Utah State, I think he should come out. I, I think it's best for him as it, his development as a quarterback. Jordan Love needs to go to a place like New Orleans and sit for a year behind Drew Brees or Pittsburgh behind Ben Roethlisberger or if the Chargers keep Phillip Rivers or Tom Brady with the Patriots. He needs to go maybe Derek Carr. Maybe the Raiders draft Jordan Love in the second round and say, we're going to challenge Derek Carr and eventually replace him. My point is that uh, Jordan Love is incredibly physically gifted. Like the talent is all there. I love his, and not just like his ability to run and throw. His fundamentals are phenomenal. His footwork is Top notch. And when you give Jordan Love all the right tools and he makes the right decision and have, has everything lined up, oh my gosh, special things happen. Great back shoulder throws, perfect velocity, touch over the top, great deep balls, great stuff in the flats. I mean, just everywhere. Jordan Love is a really talented quarterback, but his issue is that he's not ready from a decision-making standpoint for the NFL. It kind of reminds me of Patrick Mahomes, who was this really talented but just messy quarterback at Texas Tech. And if you teach Jordan Love how to read a defense, man, he can be special. He can be lethal. Jordan Love needs to leave. I'm glad he's leaving Utah State. He needs to go get better coaching. He needs to get better teammates. And he needs to sit on the bench and learn how to play quarterback. He's not ready. He's, Jordan Love is not ready to be a starter right now in the NFL. He might be a first-round pick. He might be a second-round pick. Um, he reminds me a lot of Deshaun Kaiser, but he's better than Deshaun Kaiser. Deshaun Kaiser was a quarterback from Notre Dame who came out early and left Notre Dame before he really should have. And Deshaun Kaiser had all this tremendous physical talent, but he, he was forced to play immediately in Cleveland. It's Cleveland. They were awful and he wasn't ready and he just got destroyed. He just, his career was ruined because he played before he was ready in the NFL. Jordan Love needs to sit on the bench and needs to sit and learn. But if he does... If Jordan Love is allowed the proper time to develop as a quarterback and gets good coaching, man, he could be like the next Patrick Mahomes. Remember, Patrick Mahomes sat for a year behind Alex Smith. We did, he played in one game his rookie year, week 17, when Alex Smith was resting and they gave Alex Smith the day off going into the playoffs. That is the path I see for Jordan Love, but I'm very, very clear. I, let me be overwhelmingly clear. He needs to sit. He is not ready. But absolutely, I draft him because we saw what he's capable of his sophomore year. We saw a mess his junior year. You can fix his habits, get him better coaching. Jordan Love has potential to be one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. He's just got to get it harnessed and come out of him. You got to coach him. But if you can do that, I would draft Jordan Love if I had a quarterback who I could use to play next year. If I had 
Derek Carr, and I'm like, we already got a good enough quarterback, and we might replace him someday. I draft Jordan Love in a heartbeat. If I'm the Saints, the the Steelers, the Chargers, whatever, Jordan Love has the makings of a great quarterback. He just needs time, and he just needs coaching. All right, uh, the final college football playoff rankings have come out. The number one team in the nation is LSU. Number two, we have Ohio State. Number three is Clemson. And number four is Oklahoma. So what that means is that in the Peach Bowl, LSU will play Oklahoma. And Clemson will play Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl. Here's the only thing I care about in all of this. I, you know, I, I wish I, I'm a shallow person, right? I, I just love storylines. Um, we have a chance for an epic, an incredible, fantastic national championship. Joe Burrow's LSU Joe Burrow is LSU's quarterback. He is likely going to be the Heisman Trophy winner. And we have a chance to see him play against his former team, Ohio State. Joe Burrow had to transfer from Ohio State to LSU when L- Ohio State chose Dwayne Haskins to be their quarterback instead of him. Now, uh, G- because Joe Burrow left Ohio State doesn't necessarily mean he hates them. There doesn't seem to be a lot of bad blood between the two sides. Ohio State seems to root for Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow has been a very class act. He's spoken highly about Ohio State since leaving. Um, but come on, let me tell you, Joe Burrow, other than winning a national championship, would love to do it against his former team, Ohio State. To beat your former teammates, the coaches you used to work with, that chose another guy instead of you? Oh my, let me tell you, there is no better feeling in the world than beating people who didn't believe in you or didn't want you. I think, I think Ohio State believes in Joe Burrow to a degree, but in the end, they chose the other guy. And Joe Burrow is, I, I hope, out for vengeance. And, man, uh, all I want, I will be so, I, to be very candid and very clear, all I want in the national championship is LSU versus Ohio State. If we get another matchup, I'm going to be desperately sad. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, like... I'm going to make a video like crying on camera because I so badly want to see Joe Burrow play his former college, Ohio State. That is what I want from the college football national championship and the college football playoffs. I'm going to enjoy the ride. I think that Oklahoma has a chance to beat LSU. Their offense is good. LSU's weakness is their defense. I think that uh, I, I think Ohio State probably rolls Clemson, but we'll see. But, man, I'm going to enjoy those two games. But just know. All I'm waiting for and all I'm hoping for is the national championship to be LSU-Ohio State. I'm like an impatient little kid who knows that, like, I'm going to Disneyland in two weeks and I just got to finish the last two weeks of school. I don't even know. Someone now, I don't even know what analogy I want to make, but I'm just like, cannot wait for LSU to play Ohio State because I want to see Joe Burrow play against his former college football team. Okay, this is the last topic of the day. We're flying by. It feels great. Um, we probably had the best game of the year on Sunday in the NFL. It was between the New Orleans Saints and the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers won. They beat the Saints in New Orleans, 48-46. to And um, first of all, you've got to respect that. The 49ers just finished a really tough three-game stretch against three playoff teams. They buried the Packers 37-8. They lost to the Ravens by three on the road. And then finally, in that third game of their tough stretch, they beat New Orleans in New Orleans. Uh, the 49ers keep proving themselves over and over and over again, they have this young quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, and whatever doubters you want to be, he's played his best football in this three-game stretch. Um, and, uh, I mean, the 49ers are 11-2. and two. They're the number one seed in the NFC. And they're all alone in that top spot in the NFC. Now, to me, the Saints-49ers felt like a 
NFL uh, NFC Championship preview. I was like, man, this is this is going to be the game to get into the Super Bowl. New Orleans and San Francisco. And a lot of things stood out to me in this game. Uh, the biggest surprise actually was that the, the Saints, the New Orleans Saints, were able to put up 46 points on that legendary 49ers defense. Like, wow, Drew Brees had a lot of success on offense. I mean, th- this game was like a heavyweight fight, just blow after blow. They just punching each other out. Uh, the Saints got up to a 27-14 to 14 lead early. And then by halftime, the 49ers were back on top. They, t- they, they took the lead. At halftime, the game was 28-27. to 27. Then later, with nine minutes left in the game, the 49ers led by 9, 42 to 33, and the Saints came back. The Saints scored the go-ahead touchdown with 53 seconds left. They made the game 46 to 45, and it was just this intense emotional game, and the situation we ended with at the end of the game, it's fourth and two for the 49ers on their own 33-yard line. They're down by one point. It's 46 to 45, and Jimmy Garoppolo threw a short out to George Kittle, And George Kittle caught that pass, ran about 35 yards after the catch. He was bucking defenders, breaking tackles. He set up the game-winning field goal. The 49ers won 48-46. to And I just got to say, man, George Kittle is the number one, the best tight end in the entire NFL. He blocks incredibly well. He blocked really well on Sunday. He's great catching. He can run after the catch. He's so good. George Kittle is, by a mile, the best tight end in the NFL. Not just because he's a great receiver. He's also an incredible like blocker. He deserves a ton of respect. And then you also got to credit Kyle Shanahan, the 49ers head coach. They had a situation where it's a two-minute drill. The 49ers got the ball with 53 seconds left. And here's the, the key beautiful part in all this. This 49ers still had all three of their timeouts left. Having timeouts allowed them to have more freedom. And it speaks to how well-organized Kyle Shanahan is, the 49ers head coach, He doesn't have to burn timeouts. He's great. He's well-organized. Guys on the sideline are paying attention. They are a well-organized football team. Kyle Shanahan, that's why he's one of the best. And Emmanuel Sanders, man, that new receiver the 49ers brought in has had a huge impact on that team. He's making his presence known. He had a great game on Sunday. He was awesome. And Jimmy Garoppolo is playing phenomenal. The last three games have been against really tough teams. And Jimmy Garoppolo, his worst game of the year was against the Seattle Seahawks on that Monday Night Football game that went to overtime. Since then, I mean, he just seems to get better every time I watch him. Jimmy Garoppolo, it's really hard to doubt him. And that 49ers offense is so fun to watch, man. They had a really creative play where they ran a, a speed option where they Jimmy Garoppolo hands to the fullback Kyle Juszczyk. Kyle Juszczyk runs to the outside. He runs an option play where he, he literally has a defender's face. He pitches to Raheem Mostert. I was like, man, this is just a wild... I've never seen anything like this. And this the, the incredibly creative ways that Kyle Shannon comes up with to move the ball and get yards running the football. It's just special. I've never seen it. I just, it's so awesome. Now, there are some concerns for the San Francisco 49ers. Number one, the Saints put up 46 points on that defense. The, the 49ers defense is incredible. They've been the best all year, and they gave up 46 points to Drew Brees. Um, the reason why is because the Saints neutralized the 49ers pass rush. They slowed down the 49ers defensive line. The ball got they got the ball really quick. Um, the offensive line was able to hold their one-on-one matchups for the Saints. And it tells us that the Saints have a good enough scheme and a good enough offensive line. And when you combine them, they are able to challenge the 49ers defense and put up a lot of points. That's what happened. Now, these two teams, the 49ers and the Saints, I believe are going to play again this year, probably again in the NFC Championship game to get into the Super Bowl. 
Now, there are three key injuries we need to talk about in this game going forward. Number one is that the 49ers center Weston Richburg is injured. He's out for the rest of the year. He has a torn right patellar tendon that's in his knee. He got hurt. He's out for the year. That's a big loss in this football game. The Saints also lost defensive end. Uh, so the 49ers lost their center. The Saints lost defensive end Marcus Davenport. Remember, he's a former first-round pick. He's a great defensive end. He's really come along this year and done phenomenal. Uh, he has a, a, an injury, and I think I believe a foot injury. But then there's one more key injury that's going to have a lasting impression on this 49ers Saints rivalry moving forward. Early in the game, the Saints tight end Jared Cook got hit and got a concussion. Which that so Jared Cook didn't play the rest of the game after that. I believe he had it was I believe it was a touchdown catch where he got hit in the head actually. Um, that means that the Saints put up 46 points on the 49ers. The Saints scored 46 points on that incredible defense, and for the majority of the game, they did not have their star tight end Jared Cook. That does not bode well for the 49ers in the rematch between the 49ers and the Saints. That means that next time Jared Cook will play, and barring some other unforeseen injury, the 49ers are going to play at full strength on offense next time they play the 49ers, a team they just had a bunch of success against on offense already. Man, if I'm the 49ers, I go, we won this game, and I'm glad we did. We're now 11-2. But the stuff we got on film from New Orleans, man, New Orleans knows how to beat us. New Orleans knows how to move the ball on us, and they're going to be better next time. If I'm the 49ers, I'm nervous to play the Saints next time. Because they showed, hey, they can hang with us. I, I really thought the 49ers were going to win the game. Like, I thought, man, like, it's, I, I can't remember what I said before the week, but like going to the game was like, there's, if you asked me how many points do the Saints put up on the 49ers, no way in the world do I say the Th- Saints are going to put up 46 points in that 49ers defense. That's alarming. That's concerning. And the fact that they'll be better on offense next time says that I think the Saints have a really good chance to beat the 49ers next time they play, probably in a game to get into the Super Bowl. All right, guys, that's all I have. Uh, thank you so very much. Uh, got a lot of stuff planned this week. We'll do Ask Zach later. Uh, got an Ask Zach episode planned. We'll talk a lot about quarterbacks. I want to do one more episode before I fly to Cincinnati on Friday. We'll do that probably very, like, 3 in the morning on Thursday. My sleep schedule is all screwed up. I'm really struggling. Uh, I'm going through a breakup. I'm just a gigantic, blubbery mess. I, yeah, Life's hard, man. I'm really, like, I just, like, it's... I'm glad I have the show because that's my distraction from everything, but I'm really having a hard time. I wanted to say, if you're struggling, please go get help. Um, This is a, I'm going through a devastating breakup. It's really like one of the, like it's going to be a a moment I talk about probably for the next 10, 20 years. That's just a really hard thing that I went through. Um, And, uh, and I'm not exaggerating. I've been through other breakups. This one's none like any of the other ones I've been through. Um, And three years ago, my younger brother took his life. I guess four years ago now. Um, It's heartbreaking. And my point is that painful losses happen all the time. And I just want to encourage you, if you're struggling, go get help. Uh, my younger brother took his life and never told anyone he was having a hard time. I just went into his bedroom one day, and he was dead on the floor. And so I, and I, I that's awful. And I really encourage you, if you're struggling, go get help. Now, I, I'm struggling right now, and I, I'm going to get a counselor. And I'm, going to, I'm talking to my friends, and I'm, I had dinner with my dad last night. I'm trying to be around my friends. Like, when you're having a hard time, the worst thing you can do is just be alone in your thoughts. I mean, for me, like, going to bed at night is really difficult. Because I just sit and my brain just starts working and I get really, really sad. And it's just not good. Um, and I'm not saying avoid your issues. It's important to grieve. It's important to deal with your pain. But um, I'm, all I'm saying is go get help. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. That is a suicide hotline. But I just encourage you, man, if you're struggling, just go get help. Don't suffer alone and don't suffer in silence. And then again, 
Make sure the people in your life know how much you love them. Maybe you're not the one struggling. Maybe someone else in your life is struggling. Tell them, hey, I love you. I'm here for you. I care about you. Um, when my brother died, I didn't do a good enough job making it clear to him that I was there for him and that he could talk to me if he was having a hard time and if he needed help. And so um, I just encourage you, if you're struggling, go get help and uh, be sure to tell the people in your life how much you love them, how much it mean to you, and that you're there for them if they're having a hard time. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Um, I got a lot of good stuff planned. I'm starting a new podcast with my dad next week about life, not about sports, just about life. Uh, we'll talk about our trip to Cincinnati together. And then I got another podcast I'm, I'm starting too, and, and very, very soon about, huh, I'll keep it secret. It's with my, uh, with my stepmom. That's all I'll say. I'm doing a podcast with my stepmom, which is wild and awesome. And so I just want to say thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a great day. Um, more Strong Opinion Sports is coming. I'm, I'm so excited. I feel like I'm a little bit more back on my feet finally. I uh, got a lot of content to make. I hope you're having a great day. I will uh, see you soon. But um bum bam. I guess I'll talk to you soon. You're looking at me if you're on YouTube, but probably if you're at this point in the video, you're just on iTunes because you, you don't want to stop it in your car. You're driving, your hands are occupied, and you don't want to hit pause or skip, so you're just going to wait till the video ends or the, the podcast ends. So if you're in your car, I love you. Hope you're having a great day. But um bum bam. We are done.